All right, so I, I contain myself. I contain myself. All right, we're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning, continuing and finishing our gratitude month, month of gratitude. So let's pray before we get started. Jesus, thank you for finding us. We are free because of you. Thank you for being the king, the lord, the ruler over this whole universe. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose to love us and to call us to yourself. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would teach us about, I don't know, just give us a word, Lord, from you. In your name we pray, amen. So years ago on the hills, um, the cliffs outside of uh, Colorado Challenge Camp, we used to actually run our own rappelling hills before the insurance stepped in and said we couldn't do it anymore. Now we have to go with the company, but back in the day, we ran the rappelling hill. We sent kids over the cliff. So we'd hook them in a harness, put a rope on them, and a carabiner, and send them over the cliff. Well, one day we were out there hooking kids into the harnesses, and we, we realized that most of the kids were wearing these designer t-shirts to go rappelling. Like, they had like, I don't know, I can't remember with all the Abercrombie and Fitch and all these like t-shirts with these slogans on them. And we started asking them, how much did you pay for that t-shirt? $25, $35, $40? And when we ask him, why are you wearing that T-shirt? Well, because it's cool. Yeah. Now, most of these kids weren't cool, let me just tell you. They were cool on the outside. They had the cool shirt on, but they really weren't cool. When you hung out with them and talked to them, there was nothing cool about them. But somehow they had picked up, they had picked up that there were these rules for cool, and you had to follow the rules externally to be cool, to fit in, to kind of be part of the group. It was interesting. So at lunch, we sat as youth pastors and tried to figure out how can we combat this cool thing. And we came up with our own t-shirt slogan, our own t-shirt brand. It was called Scooch Ugly Wear, like a dog scooching his butt along the ground. <laughs> and we made our slogan, we're not designers because you're not models. We even created a commercial with a bunch of guys banging on pots and pans, and we said, you know, we're still working on our theme song. And we spent time figuring this out, and we actually printed these. I should have brought some this morning. I actually have some in my closet still, Scooch Ugly Wear shirts. And we sold them for 10 bucks only. And we tried to combat this whole idea that you had to wear this shirt and clothes to be cool. You didn't have to follow these rules. Then we started looking deeper and realizing that these same kids, not only had they adopted this external rule for cool, they'd also adopted this external rules about what it meant to be a spiritual person or a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You know, followers of Jesus don't watch these kind of movies, they watch these kind of movies. Followers of Jesus don't listen to this kind of music, they listen to this kind of music. Followers of Jesus don't cheer too loudly to basketball again, they cheer like this. Followers of Jesus dress like this. Followers of Jesus do this, do that, the other thing. There was a million rules these kids had picked up on to be a spiritual person. He had to follow the rules. These led to a lot of external expressions of Christianity, but we couldn't seem to get this Jesus thing into their hearts because they had picked up all these rules they were supposed to follow to be a Christian. And we're like, how do we combat this particular problem? We thought this was a new problem to us, but then when you read the book of Colossians, you realize that Paul was dealing with the same thing back in the old days. In fact, when he was writing this book, he was actually trying to figure out how to speak into the rules these people had picked up on through the society they lived in and the philosophies around them. In fact, at the time of the writing of the book of Colossians, there was a popular philosophy called Gnosticism. It was a kind of pseudo-Christianity that had crept into the church. You know, it's interesting. When the, when the gospel went to the Jews, they had the Old Testament, so they were kind of on the sort of the same page. But when the gospel went to the Greeks, they had Greek philosophy, and they tried to mix all their Greek philosophy in with the gospel, which caused all kinds of problems. 
Now, this particular theory of Gnosticism or belief in Gnosticism was actually based on Plato's theory of the forms. Now, rather than try to explain that, I'm going to show you a quick two-minute video that explains it. Here we go. Imagine prisoners that have spent their entire lives chained deep inside a cave. They have been chained so that they cannot see behind themselves. And they are forced to stare endlessly at the cave wall in front of them. Behind them, a fire is burning. And between the prisoners and the fire is a raised walkway. Now imagine that each day, a menagerie of objects crosses the walkway. Animals and people carrying their wares to market. Their shapes create an intricate shadow play on the wall in front of the prisoners. This is the only world that the prisoners have ever known. The shadows and the echoes of unseen objects. Now, Imagine that the prisoner is released. After some time adjusting to the blinding light, the freed prisoner will begin to experience the world outside of the cave for the very first time. And it is like nothing he could have ever imagined. of the world, the man will of course want to return to his friends to share his incredible discoveries. But the prisoners cannot recognize their old friend. He appears as all things do. His voice is a distorted echo, and his body is a grotesque shadow. They cannot understand his fantastic stories of the world outside of the cave. To them, it will never exist. This, of course, does not make the world outside of the cave any less real. Now, that, that little Plato's philosophy has a little truth to it, right? The problem is it's not the full truth. It's a part of the truth. The Gnostics had convinced people that this is their problem. Their problem was that they lived in the land of the shadows. And the way out was not through connection with God. The way out was to develop this set of rules and regulations that would give them the external appearance of being moral, virtuous people. If they were moral and virtuous people enough, these angelic beings would visit them and drag them into this place of reality. And they'd eventually arrive in this perfect place down the road. So their faith meant nothing for them here on planet Earth. It only meant something for them in this, if they could arrive in this perfect spot. Now, does this sound at all familiar? Because in some ways, the Christian church has adopted a little bit of this. A lot of us live our lives thinking that we're never going to experience the kingdom of God here. We're never going to experience the wholeness of Jesus here. We're only going to experience Jesus on the other side in this land, this place we're going to go. 
right? And we have to follow these kind of rules, these virtues. We put these things on in order to try to, I don't know, kind of work our way toward this place on the other side. So Paul writes into this. Check some of this out. Look at this. So this helps you understand Colossians. Check this out. Here's Colossians 1. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So Paul's saying to the Colossians, it's not about putting on these rules and these moral virtues. It's about knowing God better and better and letting God transform you from the inside out. He keeps going. Check this out, Colossians 1. God rescued us from the dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. Whoa. He sets, set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much, the Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. How do we escape the shadows? It's through the Son, through Jesus. It's not through some angelic being or some moral virtues we escape the shadows through Jesus. And then he continues, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, from spiritual powers of this world, rather than, than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Hollow and empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense from human thinking. Yeah, he calls it out. And he says it comes from the spiritual powers that are at work in the world who are twisting the truth of the gospel and making us adopt an external version that's not really true to the inside transformation that Jesus wants for us. Am I making sense? So what does it have to do with us? Well, it makes us consider the question, what does true spirituality look like? What's transformation really look like? Getting clear on this is a crucial thing. A lot of people find their strongest argument against Christianity by just watching Christians try to be spiritual. We try to adopt a rule-based, boundary-based spirituality that like, has all these rules to it, but we can't really say they've transformed us on the inside. We're no different than anybody else. We're just acting a part, playing a part like those kids on the repelling hill. Philip Yancey says it this way, although the church of my childhood had taught me the proper way to behave, and a Bible college had given me more advanced knowledge, neither had cured the deep illness within. Though I mastered the external behavior, inside the sickness and pain remained. Huh. So the Gnostics would say, that's fine. You're trapped in the shadows. Someday you'll get to experience this deliverance, but not now. The gospel says Jesus can change you from the inside out right now. Different, okay? So what we do is, in response to this, we sometimes adopt a spirituality that's not very authentic. We play the part, but we're not really truly the part. We act like we're loving, but we don't really love our neighbors or care less about helping them out. We act like we really are into God, and we go through the worship songs, but we're not really into worship because our hearts are not really in it. See, we haven't let the Jesus of the gospel transform us on the inside and make us new people. So instead of actually being authentically spiritual, we're sort of this facade of 
play acting that we do with each other. And it happens in the church quite a bit. Philip Yancey says this, at first glance, legalism seems hard, but actually freedom in Christ is the harder way. It is relatively easy not to murder, hard to reach out and love, easy to avoid a neighbor's bed, hard to keep a marriage alive, easy to pay taxes, hard to serve the poor. When living in freedom, I must remain open to the spirit for guidance. I am more aware of what I have neglected than what I have achieved. I cannot hide behind a mask of behavior like the hypocrites, nor can I hide behind facile comparisons with other Christians. The second thing we do is we start to measure our spirituality based on our spiritual activities. You know, I was with my 86-year-old mom the other day. She's going through a lot right now. Her health is completely failing. It's been tough to watch and be part of. But we were sitting and talking in her living room, and she was kind of crying because she had not gotten her devotions done that morning. I said, okay, Ma, it's all right. Yeah, but, but I do my devotions every day. And, you know, I don't know if God's going to be able to bless me or take care of me if I haven't done my devotions. I'm like, Ma, that's not how you do your devotions. You know this. You do your devotions to connect with Jesus, have a relationship with him, so you can hear his voice, he can speak to you, you can rely on him, depend on him, you can have this deep connection with Jesus. You don't do your devotions to get points in heaven. But it was crazy, here's my 86-year-old mother who knows this, and she's getting sucked into Gnosticism. If I follow the rules and act this external way, things will all work out. Now this takes us to our passage for today. Don't, don't worry, we're not going to be here until 12. It's going to be okay. All right. But I, had to get, I think I feel like I had to get this in there. Make sure we understand what Paul's talking about. Because in the beginning of, not, of Colossians, chapters 1 and 2, he does orthodoxy. He's teaching us the right way to believe about the gospel. He's teaching us about this internal transformation that happens through Christ. Then in the second part of the book, it looks like he slips into Gnosticism because he starts to make all these statements about how we're supposed to behave. Orthopraxy based on the orthodoxy. Okay? So here's the, here's the verses for today. We're going to read these. And just quickly go through them. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now I want you to notice, leave that up there, notice the key word in each sentence. The peace of Christ. The word, the message of Christ. Do it all in the name of Christ. The source of true transformation is Christ. Is a connection, a deep connection, abiding connection with Jesus the King. The only way you get transformed, the only way you can fix the problem inside you is through a deep connection with Christ. If you lose that connection, you lose the ability, you lose the possibility of being transformed on the inside. Only Christ can transform us inside out. Paul is telling his readers, you don't have to wait for the kingdom of God in some unknown heavenly place down the road. You can access the kingdom of God right now. You can experience these realities right now through 
a connection with Christ. So let's just quickly go through these. Look at this. Paul is telling us about a deep inner transformation. Look at this first one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And notice each of these phrases concludes with be thankful. Be thankful. Peace. Think about that. Have you experienced that recently? Inner tranquility. No anger. No frustration. No uh, jealousy. No envy. No anxiety. A feeling of security, like things are going to be okay. I mean, do you go through your days letting the peace of Christ rule over your hearts? You know that word rule in Greek? It's the word for umpire. It's like the peace of Christ is supposed to be the umpire over our inner bodies and call balls and strikes when we get out of line and get us back in line with the peace of Christ. So Paul's saying you can experience, you can experience this transformation because you can have peace in this world no matter what's going on. You can have total and complete peace. You can experience this tranquility right here through Christ. You can also experience it with other people in the room. Now, some of these people probably bug you, don't you think? If you look around, you can probably find some of that bugs you, don't you think? Yeah, let's be honest, right? I can look and say, there's a couple people here that bug me. <laughs> Just kidding. But you know, it's interesting because this inner peace we have also leads to peace with each other. Peter Scazzaro wrote this book, The Emotionally Healthy Church. Look what he says. The sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. Even more alarming, when you go beyond the praise and worship of our large meetings and conventions and into the homes and small group meetings of God's people, you often find a valley littered by broken and failed relationships. So basically, we have not let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We have not let the peace of Christ umpire our inner workings. We've allowed things to creep in there that are not of, the, of Christ. You know, my son-in-law is coaching Division I football. He's one of the staff on Austin P. University's staff. They lost yesterday in the playoffs, so he's done for this year. But his, his coach is a guy who claims to be in Christ. Now, my son-in-law has experienced this coach swearing his head off at the team, going bananas on the team, going psycho on the team, and then, as soon as he gets done going psycho, saying, let's pray. And my son-in-law has observed the players rolling their eyes at what they appear or think to be a facade, not someone who's been transformed in Christ. It's super sad. I sat with the guy's wife. I sat behind the guy's wife in the stands, and my, my daughter to me said, Dad, close your mouth, because this is his wife right in front of us. <laughs> she knows me. <laughs> right? Okay, Paul continues. Look at this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, there it is again, in your hearts. So think about this. Why do you do devotions? Why do you read the Bible? So you can become a Bible answer man? So you can do the Bible trivia games better? So you can like know all the answers and all the stories of the Bible? No! 
You read the Bible because you want to hear from God a word for your life. The, the, the word of God's living and active and God wants to speak to us through it. So we read the Bible, we get into the Bible, we, we take the Bible out because we want to hear from God a word from God. That's what we read it. So let the word of Christ, the message of Christ dwell inside of us richly. You know, I heard John Ortberg say once, uh, you know, people always try to read through the Bible in a year. Instead of reading through the Bible in a year, trying to get through the Bible, why don't you let the Bible get through to you? So maybe read one verse and just soak it in and let the word of Christ and the message of Christ dwell richly inside you to transform you. Has that ever happened to you? When I'm doing my devotions, oftentimes, it's like sometimes God speaks right to me about my life, about what's going on in here. It's like the, the passage jumps off the page. And I know that God is speaking to me about my inner stuff that needs to be fixed and transformed in Christ. You know, I've, I've, uh, my grandpa, Grandpa Klein, he was famous for his uh, cranky personality. <laughs> when my parents used to leave the house, he would get, he'd immediately turn into the sergeant. He'd start yelling at us, you kids, you got to get in here. We knew Grandpa Klein is the guy who stood like this and pointed his finger. Now, we've also realized, all of us in the Klein family, we have an inner Grandpa Klein dwelling inside there like lurking, just waiting to rise up and come out. My kids have experienced my inner Grandpa Klein. My, probably my church has experienced my inner Grandpa Klein. But I know that if I lean into my inner Grandpa Klein, the word of Christ is not dwelling in me richly. The message of Jesus has not transformed me into the person that he wants me to be. There's one last thing that is in this passage. It goes like this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is about your motivation. Why do you do what you do? What drives you to do what you do? Is it the glory of God, the glory of the king, or is it the glory of you? You know, I got a lesson on this years ago from Cliff Weiner, Mac and Karen's son, Cliff, who's the missionary. He's now Cliff Renner, I believe. But Cliff Weiner and I worked at Timothy together for a long time, and probably three, four years, we used to lead worship, morning worships and evening worships and do all things. One night, Cliff pulled me aside and said, you know, Klein, you're doing a lot of good stuff, but I just wonder how much of, his, how much of it is in the name of Jesus how much of it is in, is in the name of Jeff? And then he just walked away. He was right. What drove me? Was it to give glory to Jesus or was it to make myself successful and something on the map? Now, the person writing about this, the Apostle Paul, had he experienced this transformation? Do you know this firsthand? Yeah, before he met Jesus, he was an angry murderer, convinced that he was defending this rule-based faith of Judaism by killing Christians and dragging them off and putting them in prison. And then Jesus knocked him off his donkey, and he meets Jesus, and out of gratitude, with great passion, he moves into the world and preaches. And then in prison, 
In Philippi, he puts on display the inner transformation he's experienced. It says in Acts 16, he's in Philippi, in the inner stocks in the prisons, in the stocks, feet chain, arms chain, next to Silas, in the deep inner part of the prison. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. And it says right in there that he was praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. Whoa. I've often thought about that. If I was in his shoes, could I sing hymns and pray? Would that inner transformation come out of me? Or would I just be in the inner Grandpa Klein going, oh God, what are you doing? And then another place he writes that he considered everything rubbish except for the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. So where does gratitude come from? Where does transformation come from? In Christ. Christ the King. A deep connection with him transforms you in ways that nothing else on planet Earth can. Don't get sucked in to the counterfeit ways, the pseudo-transformation. Seek real transformation in Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that there's a lot of stuff inside of us that's a mess, including all the preachers and the people on the platform here. We have a big inner mess going, Lord. We have tried to clean it up under our own power in our own way. We have tried to deal with the stuff that life has placed in there. Maybe we feel like those prisoners in the shadows in the cave with no way out. But we know your gospel tells us that in Christ, we have hope for transformation. We can experience right now the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, which will allow us to do all things in the name of Christ. In your name we pray, amen.